0: how would you describe your prayer life? Is your prayer life a marriage relationship that's disintegrating because there's no communication? How would you describe your prayer life? Uh, Is your prayer life a whining child that only begs for more? How would you describe your prayer life? Is your prayer life a healthy communication between a God who loves you and you who love God. In Colossians chapter 4, Paul tells the church at Colossae, be devoted to prayer. As we think about that command this morning, I want us to look at what Paul says to the church at Colossae. He's going to tell them that they ought to pray, but he's also going to give them some things for which they ought to pray. And then he tells them, this is how you ought to conduct yourself, I believe in a very similar vein, based on what he tells them they ought to pray for. So this morning, I want us to think about our prayer lives. How would you describe your prayer life? Does it meet what Paul is asking for? And how can we make our prayer lives more like what it is that Paul's asking for? So by now, you've turned in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 4. Let's look at what Paul tells this church at Colossae they ought to do. Colossians chapter 4, verse 2. Paul says, devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving, praying at the same time for us as well, that God will open up for us a door for the word, so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ, for which I have also been imprisoned, that I may make it clear in the way I ought to speak. Paul tells these Christians, you ought to be devoted to prayer. Or he gives them a command, he says, be devoted to prayer. But what is that idea of devotion? Wives want their husbands to be devoted to them, right? And and we like that devotion. Uh, It means I'm committed to something. I'm committed to you, I'm committed to my spouse. I'm committed to this job. I'm committed to this school. I'm committed to, that's what we think of devotion. But truly the idea here means to be busy every day or to be busily engaged in something. That's a little bit different, I think, in my mind anyway, than the concept that we often have when we talk about being devoted. I I can be devoted to something and not spend a whole lot of time to it. right? But this actually means to be busily engaged. We think about Paul elsewhere saying, Pray without ceasing. And then we think of the person that just prays all the time. They're constantly praying. But praying, being busily engaged in prayer, means that it's something that I am often doing. And some of you that have known me for a while, Uh, have heard me make statements like, when I think about my Christian life and my Christian practice, prayer is one thing that I seem to always need to work on because it's hard sometimes to be purposeful in prayer. There's an old bumper sticker a few years ago that said, as long as there are tests, there will be prayer in schools. Remember the midst of the prayer in school debate. And that's true. When we have a problem, when we have a need, that's when we tend to be busy in prayer. But Paul doesn't say be busy in prayer when things aren't looking your way. Paul says be busily engaged in prayer. Be devoted to prayer. Prayer needs to be a fundamental part of our day, every day. And for many of us, it's easy to let that go. But then Paul gives this interesting statement. He says be alert, keep an alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving. What does it mean to be alert in prayer? Somebody going to sneak up on you while you're praying? The idea is to be watchful. And Paul combines this with this idea of being thanks, thankful. So what does that mean to be watchful? You pray for something and you watch it happen. You reach out to God and you watch. might also be the idea that you watch things happening and you pray for those things. Either way, but you're watchful. You're looking for it. And you're doing that with thanksgiving. How many of us spend time with our kids teaching them to pray and watching for how God works in our lives? We prayed for this. And looking back at things, this is what happened. Isn't it interesting that things happened this way? Do you pray with your kids? Do you teach them to pray? There's something nasty that's about to happen. School starts. Right? And we have the gambit here. We have homeschoolers. We have public schoolers. and have kids in charter schools, and so we have the gambit, but every single one of those kids needs prayer, right? Because if mom's your teacher, you better watch out, right? Because there's a little bit more corporal punishment maybe that happens in that setting uh, than in some other settings, right? Uh, You don't get an A on your test. Your teacher at school says, oh, you try harder next time, but when mom's your teacher, that's a little bit more fervent of a direction, right? I'm scared sending kids off to public school for a lot of different reasons. Now, if you're a kid's in public school, I'm not trying to be mean or nasty to you. But there's so many influences on your child in a public school setting. And we have great kids in this congregation. Right? Can you imagine any stronger second grader when it comes to faith in the Lord than, uh, than Addie? I mean, that girl, right? But we need to pray for those kids. They're in the world, right? And, you know, I I love homeschool because you can make sure what your kids are doing and the curriculum that they're doing, and, and there's some solid stuff there. Uh, but you take that same kid and you put them in a, in a public school and all of a sudden that teacher has 20 some, maybe I met a teacher from another school yesterday that had 36 kids in social studies. At 30, 30, 36 kids in one classroom? And not you don't get to control the behavior of any of those kids, right? As a parent. And so you have those influences. We need to pray for those kids as they go off into that setting, into that environment. And we pray that they'll learn. We pray that they grow. But you see, as we pray, we are watchful in that. How has God worked for us in our prayer? And he says, do this with an attitude of thanksgiving. Pray with an attitude of thanksgiving. We'll come back to this in just a second. But then Paul says, not only do I want you to be daily, busily engaged in prayer, Paul says, I have a special circumstance I want you to pray for. He says, verse 3, praying at the same time for us as well. That God will open up for us a door for the word so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ for which I also have been imprisoned. Paul says, look, guys, I'm here in Rome. Acts chapter 28, Paul has his own rented quarters, okay? So he's not like in a dungeon somewhere. as You sometimes see it depicted Uh, But I'm guessing that when you have rented quarters, it's still not as fun, right? As having your freedom and being able to go to Chick-fil-A whenever you want. But Paul's telling these Christians, he says, Look, any day now I could be called in before Caesar or one of his appointed magistrates to hear my case. And if it goes good, that's great. But if it doesn't go good... I could lose my head. I could lose my life. And Paul says, pray that when I'm sitting there before that magistrate, when I'm sitting here uh, before these Roman centurions who have charge of watching over me, and I'm interacting with different people that are coming in and out of my rented quarters, uh, that I have an open door for saying the very same things that got me here on a capital charge. In that circumstance, Paul says, pray that God will open a door for the Word of God. You notice Paul doesn't say, pray that I can have 20 baptisms this month. He doesn't say that. Notice Paul doesn't say, pray that the little church that I've established here in Rome or the church in Rome that I'm working with suddenly blossoms into a mega church. doesn't pray that way. Paul says, pray that God will open the door for the word of the Lord. Pray that I'll have opportunity to share the word of God with others. You know, that's interesting. There are some theologies in Christendom, as some people use that term today, that say that you can never even entertain the idea of God unless you're moved to do so. I don't believe that fits with Scripture. God allows people to make choices. And sometimes when we interact with folks, they're going to hear what we have to say. They're going to read the same scriptures, and they're going to look at those scriptures. They're going to hear what we're saying, and they're going to be convicted in their heart and decide to become disciples of Christ. But Jesus said, there's a guy that went out, and he threw seed in the field. And some of that seed fell on good ground, and it blossomed into bushels of good grain. But some of that f- seed didn't even hit the ground before it just didn't do anything, and the birds came and ate it up. Some of that seed fell on rocky soil, and it had you know a, a, a general uh, sinking of the roots. But it didn't take long before those those things withered away. And then there was other seed that fell on soil, and it sprang up. But then the weeds, the desires, the needs, the wants of life came and choked them all out. If we follow Jesus's analogy there, parable there, that means that you're going to lose three times out of four. 75%. Now I know that Jesus was trying to give us a mathematical equation to how many people we have to teach before we get one Christian. But you see the point that Jesus was making. Paul doesn't say, pray that I can have X number of baptisms, that I can have this many great Christians come out of what I'm saying. He says, just open the door so that some people will hear the Word of God. And some of those folks are going to hear it and believe it and respond to it, and some of them aren't. But just open the door. Give me an opportunity to share that gospel story. We've said that the month of August, we want to have 31 days of prayer praying that God will open the door for people in our sphere of influence, people that you and I know, our friends, our neighbors, our family, the people that we interact with. So that among those folks, we might be able to share the gospel with some of them. And my prayer for you is that you're doing that, that you're praying that, that you've thought about the people in your life that you can influence, that you'd love to see become Christians. We've also asked that as we start to do some of our fall activities, like National Night Out, uh, the the Heritage Fest here in Benbrook, uh, reaching out to the police department, reaching out to the teachers at Benbrook Elementary School, uh, and and some of the other things that we'll do this fall, that in, in all of that, that God will open the door so that with some of those folks we might study And on Wednesday night, starting I think it's September 10th, that second Wednesday in, in, in September, we're going to start using our Wednesday night Bible study time as evangelistic, evangelistic study. We want those folks to come and be with us on Wednesday nights so that we can study with them. We need to pray that God opens those doors so that there will be some that will want to come And of those that come, there will be some that hear the word of God and will make a decision, I want to be a disciple of Jesus. I want to live my life for God in Christ. There's going to be some folks that don't respond that way. We don't have to worry about that. We don't have to give ourselves a quota. We just want God to open the door so that we can be successful. Then notice what Paul says, verse 4. He says that I may clear in the way I ought to speak. Make what clear? The mystery, the gospel story, that he may make it clear in the way he ought to speak. Here's Paul. I'm about to go before Caesar and one of his magistrates, and, and the decision that Caesar or this magistrate makes is going to determine whether or not I get released from prison, whether or not I've spent the rest of my life in prison, or whether or not I'm going to be killed. Capital punishment. Remember, that's the capital charge. He had a capital charge, which he appealed to Caesar. So technically, it's capital charge. Paul doesn't say, please pray for me so that I may go before that magistrate and get released. He says, pray that that God will open a door, that I may speak the mystery, which got me here in the first place, the gospel story. Non-Jews get to be Christians too that I can tell that story. He wasn't concerned about losing his head. He wasn't concerned about being released. He wanted to tell the gospel story. What kind of courage does that take? To stand before the person who determines whether or not you live or die. And you just want to tell the gospel story. That was the weight on his shoulders as he writes to the Church of Classe. And yet when we think about Paul, we think about the term we would never use, "supervision," right? If I could just be like Paul, who, who, who was inspired by God, uh, inspired by the Holy Spirit, able to do miracles, able to speak in languages he'd never studied, able to do all these things has God talking directly to him as much as we understand how inspiration works. And he says, pray that I can say what I ought to say. My hope is that you will pray for me. Then the things that I say and the things that I teach, that I'm preaching and teaching exactly as Scripture would have me and as God would have me, to preach and teach. And my hope is is that you're praying for me that I can be successful as we reach out to the community and share the gospel with others. And by the way, my hope is that Jay and Ivana are doing that, that Micah and Kristen are doing that, and we can go around the room and we can name everyone in the room because the reality is all of us ought to be able to share the gospel with others. But especially those who are charged with the task of evangelism, please pray for those folks. That God will be useful, or that God will use them to his glory. And so Paul says to these Christians, I want you to pray. Be diligent in it, be busy every day, engaged in it. He gives them that command, but then he gives them the substance of what they ought to be praying for, at least in this instance, praying for him praying that God will open the door. And I pray that as the Benbrook Church of Christ, we are doing that, that God will open the door for us. But then Paul transitions in verse 5 and 6 to talk about things that these Christians could do themselves in their circumstance that would further the opening of the door. Notice what he says, verse 5. Conduct yourself with wisdom toward outsiders making the most of the opportunity. Let your speech always be with grace as though seasoned with salt so that you will know how you should respond to each person. This has never happened to anyone in this room. Let's say you're at a church fellowship, and you go and you dip out something that looks real good, and you get your fork and you plunge it in those potatoes, or you plunge it in... Uh, whatever it is, that casserole, not the pimento cheese sandwiches, but uh, one of those other things, and you open your mouth, and your mouth is salivated. You take your first bite. Ah, you want to spit it out because whoever made this dumped the salt can in there. Have you ever experienced that? If that happens at, happens at your house, don't tell the one that made it, Right? But has that ever happened? You eat something and it's so salty, you can't eat it. Paul says, when we work with outsiders, when we're talking with outsiders, your words need to be seasoned as if with salt. That is to say, sprinkle. The grace is there. It's not talking about actual salt. But let your words be with grace, as though seasoned with salt. You want it to be just enough, but not too much. Now, some of us go the other way, right? We're afraid of sodium in our lives, right? And so we don't want any salt at all. And that's nasty stuff too in a different way, right? Paul's point is you don't take it to one extreme or the other. You try to say what is just right. Some of us, man, we get that Morton salt and we get the big can and we just pour it on. Some of us need to understand the spice aisle a little bit more, right? Right? But Paul says, look, guys, you need to conduct yourselves with wisdom toward outsiders, making the most of the opportunity. Have you ever gone downtown Fort Worth? Uh, maybe it's a nice summer day uh, on the weekend, and you see these street preachers out there. I wonder how successful they are. As people walk by and they shout at them, are you, are you saved? Are you this, side or the other? I wonder how successful they are. You sometimes see them actually talking with people. I'm not going to completely disparage that because I've never tried it. But I just wonder, how successful are those folks today? When we knock on doors, why do we do that? I mean, really. Today, 2017, why do we knock on doors? Because it makes us feel good that we're doing something, right? If somebody came and knocked on your door, what would you do? Probably most of us would say, Shh, kids, be quiet. <laughs> the dog can bark, that's okay, But everyone else be quiet. It, it's not that effective. So we need to think about, use wisdom towards outsiders. How can we reach the lost? How can we interact with people that aren't Christians? And, and the reality is we do that by building relationships. Right? You get to know someone. Uh, there's a a woman that Kimberly and I know uh, when I was in Parker County, uh, she was a realtor, uh, but she had some different thoughts. One time we were at a chamber luncheon and we were talking about her thoughts on the the apocalypse and all that kind of good stuff and uh, never got to follow up with that conversation. But you see, you get those conversations as you build relationships with people and they ask you questions and you know how to respond to them. And you know how to say, would you like to have a Bible study about that? Or I'd love to study the Scripture with you about that. Or it would be interesting to see what the Bible says about that. And you listen for those opportunities. You listen for those doors opening. Well, here's what we can't do. We can't be so bland that we're afraid to ever start the conversation. And the reality is that's where we are a lot of times. We go to the extreme of saying, I don't want to bother anybody. I don't want to embarrass anybody. I don't want to lose any friends or any relationships. I don't want anybody to think I'm a weirdo. And so we never start the conversation. We need to be seasoned with salt. When we do things like going to National Night Out and going to Heritage Fest and going to the police department and going to the teachers, we do that because we're trying to establish relationships and make contacts. And we do that because we want to open, find those open doors with which we can walk through with our Bible in hand and have a conversation. The days of the 1950s were great. The days of the 1800s were great when there was no TV. There's nothing to do after you put the horses in. And so people would go for two, three weeks at a time and go to gospel meetings. And, you know, it's kind of depressing for me as a preacher because you read some of the accounts and it says, 100 people were baptized on Saturday night. And I'm thinking, I haven't baptized in a year. What's wrong with me? Don't answer that. But you look at those accounts and, and the circumstance was just different. Now, we can't use that as an excuse to say, I'm never going to reach out. But we need to be busy. As we look at what Paul says as he begins to close his letter to the church at Colossae, he's telling them pray, pray, pray. And as you pray for whatever's going on in your life, be watchful for what's happening in your prayer life. See how God is working as you are praying. Be watchful in that. Be thankful in that. And as you pray, by the way, please don't forget to pray that God will open the door for the gospel. And as you're watchful for that, remember how you interact with people around you so that you can respond to them, so that you won't give them too much, And you don't give them too little, but that you'll give them just enough that they'll be able to be interested and they'll want to hear the gospel. And some of those folks will become Christians. Maybe you're here this morning and you've heard a little bit of the gospel. Or maybe you've heard quite a bit of the gospel. And you want to respond to the story of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. And you want to be united with Jesus in his death, burial, and resurrection through baptism so that you can crucify that old body of sin and be raised to live a new life, a life for Christ. And you want to respond to that by saying, I want to be baptized. Whatever your need, once you come, As together we stand in.